And it's a small royalty. You're not draining the company of all their cash or all their money. And it only works with companies with a certain amount of revenue. But there's so many ways to use these structures. We've done ones where we get um, 1.2x of our money back over a certain period of time based on gross revenues. And then maybe our right of participation or equity warrant goes from 18% to 16% once all of our money is off the table. And when they sell their company one day, we get 16% of the company. My name is Jonathan Tuttle, the host of the Incredited Investor Podcast, and I'm the founder at Midwest Park Capital, a boutique mobile home park real estate fund, along with Revenue Sun, a leading digital marketing and fractional CMO agency, and a part of the founding team at Wowie Pop, a new Kava and mood enhancing beverage. This episode is sponsored by Prestige, the world's most exclusive social networking app. All website links are in the show notes below. In this high-level mini-series called the 100 Million Rainmaker Insights, Richard C. Wilson of the Family Office Club, which is the founder of the world's largest ultra-high net worth paid association and owner of Billionaires.com, breaks down in short high-value strategies in his 19-part mini-series on how to grow, think, and optimize to get to your first 100 million. You will not want to miss any episodes. Enjoy this mini-series. Please like, comment, and share this podcast with your friends. Thank you. This is actually going to be module number eight within our $100 million Rainmaker Capital Raising Series, but this is going to be very helpful to investors here in the room as well. We're going to be talking about investment structure strategies. Um, I see my friend Ruben here up in the front, and this is actually going to be included. This Rainmaker Series is going to be transcribed and included as part of a book that Ruben and I are putting out together for those who are putting together deals. So I'd encourage you to do the same. If you look to write a book, give speeches, record it, transcribe it, makes things easier. So, so over 16 years, what I've learned is that you can take a really great deal, but if it has a bad structure, it can be made horrible for you. And you could take a really bad deal, put a great structure on top of it, and it can be made pretty decent or excellent. And so Lots of people run around talking about how great the potential returns could be, or they might be excited about their niche opportunity, but the custom structuring of the deal is critical to savvy single family offices. If you want to get more deals done, you have to be open-minded to that. Today, there's a family office investing with someone here they met at the Super Summit, and they want to put in the full $2.1 million that that company is raising. And they only wanted to raise $700,000 right now, but they need $2.1 million over a year. And the family said, well, if you custom structure it and just boost the returns by another 10%, we'll put in the full amount and we'll just dedicate the full 2.1 every three months, put another 700K in. Um, another family here in the room put seven figures with a member of our club, custom structured, even though it went into a fund with a side letter and another deal being negotiated here is a seven figure deal, but they wanted income attached to it. So maybe the company will say no. But they're saying, well, if you make an 8% income coupon on it versus making me wait a year to get income, then I'll put in the $1 million check. Those are all examples of custom structures happening right here in the room today with 100 million plus net worth families um, as an example of how important this topic is. We could talk for an hour on this easily. We actually have a five and a half hour workshop on structures and we're gonna spend about 10 minutes on this just to open your eyes to all the different types. We're gonna spend more time on the interesting ones. A lot of you here in the room are not new to some of these structure ideas. So we're gonna blow through some that are 101, but I realize some families made their money within a niche where they're not exposed to even what a GPLP relationship even means or any of regulatory details around investments. And so it's important to at least see these words and, and realize it might have to do future homework in an area 
if I say it's super common and you've never seen it together, uh, seen it before. All right, so uh, obviously you start out just understanding straight equity investments. Um, debt will have first right if the company gets liquidated. That's almost almost always the case. So it's just something to know about equity investing is that sometimes some smart players play on the debt side because you might get liquidated before an equity player. If everyone's familiar with the traditional equity investment. Convertible notes um, are typically when you're investing in an early stage company and that company is like, you know, it's very hard to put a value on the company right now. So let's just kick that down the road. And next time we value the company, you'll get a discount, let's say 25% discount off of that valuation. Plus we'll give you an 8% coupon for this time that you waited and you'll get in at a 20% discount to our next valuation. The reason why um, I've never done these and probably never will is that many times the reason why you can't really put a valuation on it yet is the company really doesn't have a lot yet to show. And at the time when they do their next round, they might have four times the progress, twice the pro progress, six times the progress. So this is not always the case, but if you have two, four, six times the progress, why would I only be getting a 20% discount off of that valuation, right? Shouldn't it be like a 50% discount or a 30, 40, 70% discount? And that's usually not how big the discount is. So you just have to look at that coupon rate, maybe custom negotiate that and just be careful. You have to really be high conviction to invest in any early stage company, of course. Uh, venture debt is when you go to a company and maybe the debt markets are at you know seven eight nine percent for debt on a business maybe higher and instead of doing a 11 percent debt only and you just get 11 percent capped return and then the company survives the gap grows and becomes a big profitable company you say well we want two percent equity warrants or one percent right of participation when you sell the company one day or we want 1% equity in your company plus 12% interest. So you're getting your money back monthly through debt payments, um, but you also get an equity kicker. Um, this can sweeten the deal, make it more attractive. We talked earlier in the conference about hard money lenders wanting to do this these days instead of lending out at 13% and two points of fees up front, maybe they do 12% or 11% to get an equity kicker. So they're picking up upside in real estate deals all the time while also lending to them. Gross revenue royalties is one of my favorite types of structures. Uh, we've done this um, at least 13 times. I need to go back and look and count at all the deals we've done it on. Um, you can structure royalties in all different ways. And out of all of our events, or how many people here in the room have done a deal using a gross revenue royalty structure? Zero people. At our other events, I've only had one family from Norway say they'd ever done one this way. But I love using these, and apparently no one else does. But I like using them because you get your money back off the top line revenue. You're not waiting for the company to be profitable. If they're unprofitable one month, you're not not getting a dividend. I'm a passive investor. It's their CEO's job to have the company be profitable. And it's a small royalty. You're not draining the company of all their cash or all their money. And it only works with companies with a certain amount of revenue. But there's so many ways to use these structures. We've done ones where we get um, 1.2x of our money back over a certain period of time based on gross revenues. And then maybe our right of participation or equity warrant goes from 18% to 16% once all of our money is off the table. And when they sell their company one day, we get 16% of the company. We've had other ones where we get 2x returns and then we're out of the deal completely. There's some where you get a certain return and then your equity level drops or you just get a little equity kicker when one day they sell to private equity, but you already got a return off the deal. So there's um, dozens of ways you can structure these and it gets cash back in your pocket faster uh, for companies that already have pretty healthy revenue. So I encourage you to explore this area further. Uh, an LLC partnership could be something where 
you're coming in with one investor or a couple of investors. If you raise capital this way, you still need to have proper disclosures, maybe proper subscription agreements typically. Make sure to talk to your attorney before using any of these structures. Um, but typically, you can create different share classes within the LLC. And one share class might have the controlling shares. Another share class might be really um, having a preferred return built into there, even though it's not a fund, that share class could get all the returns until they get all the money back in their pocket. And then you're sharing pro rata. One share class might get um, all the money back plus a certain return, and then you're sharing pro rata after that. One share class might be capped at a 3x return because you're doing all the work and put the whole deal together and they get their money out first, but they're limited at a 3x return because you're the one cranking and grinding every single day for seven years to make it happen, and a 3x return is rich enough for them. Um, there's many, many different ways to use this, but just knowing that you could come in and have different share classes and you're not all in there as common equity, and that on top of debt, there's all these different structures you can use to have an equity cap or an equity buyback provision, or if they commit a bad boy act and go to jail for fraud or get a DUI, they lose their equity in the deal or the equity gets discounted. Or if someone doesn't perform, there's clawback clauses or drag along clauses, et cetera. So um, this can go pretty deep and could be um, itself an hour long talk on how to structure all different share classes within a deal. But it's important that you know that these exist because an attorney might want to just do it in a way that's relatively simple and not the way that's gonna be most attractive to an investor or most helpful to you as a family office or private investor. And your wealth will compound faster or you will get deals done faster if you understand how to structure different share classes within a deal and different side letters and just navigate the optionality of that. So if a family says, nah, it looks a bit too risky to you, to us, then we could say, oh, well, why don't we just have the other five medical practices doing 23 million a year in revenue be the collateral plus the equipment plus the insurance receivables because we're sure we're not going to lose your money on this. So why don't we structure it so that there is a, a secured promissory note or secured capital in there properly formed through an attorney? That's the difference maker in getting deals done a lot of the times. A traditional LPGP deal is just the person typically running the deal, typically the GP. The passive investors are the limited partners, the LPs, GP is general partner. Typically, the LPs liability is limited to the money they invest in the deal. It's not always, always the case, but usually that's the case. Uh, with GPs, you have more liability and you're the one responsible for carrying things out um, and you're the one actively running the deal. There are lots of structures used for this. Lots of fund structures are at six, seven, eight percent pref with 20 to 30 percent profit shares on the back. Um, but more and more investors would rather have somebody be paid more handsomely when things go well and not earn a bunch of fees up front. They know you have costs to cover and those costs probably should be covered, but they don't want you growing fat on the fees up front. All you've done is tie up their money until you've got money back in their pocket and made them money. It's just an opportunity cost and the jury's out on whether that was actually a good investment on their part. But meanwhile, you might have already as a manager made a lot of money off those fees. So yes, it's a business. Yes, you have to make money, but you should be making money while the investor makes money or after the investor makes money. Um, and that's really important to a lot of investors. Fake skin in the game is when someone says, oh yeah, I'm putting up 5% of the capital in this deal. But let's say for easy math, it's a $100 million deal and there is 70 million of debt on it and 30 million of equity that needs to be put in. So if you put up 5%, you know, 10% of 30 million would be 3 million. So you're putting up 1.5 million. You say, oh, I've got skin in the game. I'm putting up 1.5 million of $30 million. But maybe your acquisition fee is 2% on the cost of the asset. Maybe your asset management fee is 2%. Um, and maybe you're doing property management and get fees from that as well. But let's ignore that for a second. If you get 2% of acquisition fees, you're getting $2 million on day one. So you have negative skin in the game. You just made $500,000, which you didn't make. You put it probably had deal costs, right? To be fair, 
But your asset management fees would again make you $2 million per year if you charge it on the overall asset. So again, you've got negative skin in the game and the investor's got all the risk in the game. So it's important that like between the structure and the money you put in that you're communicating that like, hey, if this goes poorly, it's even more painful for me than it is for you. Not only because of our reputation, but because of either money we have on the line, plus a reputation, plus how we structure the deal so that you're winning with the investor or after the investor. That's really important in all these structures as a commonality, uh, common thing. And sophisticated investors will look at a structure and not even reply to your email or tell you this. They'll say, oh, that's not for us. And they'll just move on. So you won't hear this feedback a lot of the time. And that's the challenge of learning in our space. If you don't, if you aren't in a forum like this, is you're not always going to hear the real candid, brutal truth of why someone didn't reply to your email. You just don't get a reply. So then you're left guessing. Were they just busy? Did they go to the spam box? Was it our brand name means nothing? Was it the Yahoo email address? Was it the timing of the market? Were they over allocated in that space? There's 50 different reasons. So that's why you have to have the very basic table stakes of the game in place. Uh, because otherwise, you're, maybe it's one of those 50 basics that you should have in place. <clears throat> a performance fee only structure um, could be something where maybe the costs of the deal are charged back to the fund or the deal. Maybe like the underwriting costs, the inspection costs, travel costs to lock up the deal, etc. So you're not losing your shirt while putting the deal together and syndicating it. But the only fee that you earn and anywhere you make a profit is only on the performance end. So um, investors like this, but on the same token, I've got a family worth several hundred million dollars um, that's syndicated dozens and dozens of deals. They have 800 investors and they said to me, just to be controversial on it, is that you can fall on your sword and do these things and some investors will appreciate it. But they said some other ones, they just want a good investment from someone they trust that's gonna have good returns. And they wouldn't mind if you charged them a fair fee. They wouldn't mind if you, you made a little bit of fees along the way. And they've tried it both ways. And in their experience, they said, it feels like we're sacrificing things and people don't even care. Like they're not even sophisticated enough to know what you're doing is actually good for them. And, um, and so they said in their, in their experience, they would rather charge the fees because not everyone really appreciated it when they went performance fee only. You know, we, we kind of lean towards more performance fee only. And with InvestorResidences.com, we put so much thought into it. And we thought, okay, let's do this thing where there's no acquisition fee, no annual asset management fee put your money into our fund of short-term rental properties and you get all your money back plus double your money back before you make a dollar of fees. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? And some investors were like, oh, I wish you chart, you just had the normal structure. And it's like, well, if, if you want to, we could do a side letter and just charge you a bunch of fees up front and every year It'd be better for us. But we put, you know, trying to make it really performance-based. And so we're always evolving our learning, trying things out. And a lot of investors do like the 2X with no fees, but in some cases people are just used to seeing a certain thing and they just want you to fit the normal box and just have a slight tweak to it versus having to educate them on a too creative of a structure for some types of people. So one takeaway from this whole presentation is that a normal fund model where you're not allowed to do a side letter and you can't do direct deals, you're really limiting the pool of investors because any one fund structure, even with two or three share classes in there, might not appeal to a really big family or the best investor you could have closed a deal with. So being open-minded, being agile, and just knowing no matter how hard you try to put together a great structure and a great deal, it's not going to be appealing to everybody. You'll get negative feedback on any structure you put out there, uh, which is fine. At our big capital, it's called a capital con. We have a 100 talks from people who have raised $100 million or more in their career. And those are all recorded in the portal for you. What's most interesting is the people who have the most experience, have the biggest CRMs of investors, have a team of 20 people, full-time capital raisers, 
all broker-dealer license. All they do is raise capital all day long. Every advantage in the world, besides the one advantage that's always most credible to have the founder raising capital, because they know the story cold and they have they ooze credibility in their space typically. But besides that, they have every advantage. They they say on stage in these talks that they have to go out to 200, 250 investors to find the 15 or 20 that'll fill up their big deal, even with all those advantages. So you should not feel bad if you have to go to 300 investors to find the 15 or 25 to fill up your deal. That's what the best world-class people who have raised 20 billion, 40 billion in their career tell us on stage they have to do. CoGP structures is something to consider. We've closed um, a lot of CoGP deals, and this is when instead of saying, we're the GP, passive investors be the LP, you go to someone who either sourced the deal, could add value to the deal, bring all the capital to the deal, for example, um, and maybe structure a co-GP uh, agreement there. Depending on your industry and regulations, et cetera, you have to check and make sure it's done right, of course, just like the rest of this presentation. But by doing this, you might be able to get all the capital you need through one relationship or two relationships, and now the capital raising job is done. So this could be highly appealing to those that want to move faster. You will typically be giving up terms on the high end and have a lower profit share, be sharing your profit share with a third party, and take a little bit of a haircut there, but you might go five or 10 or 20 times faster, or you might get the actual raise done versus not getting it done at all. So we have whole discussion panels on CoGP structures. We have many recordings and interviews on CoGP structures in the portal. We don't have time to go super deep on that today, but lots of information on it within our portal and at our other events. Uh, we go pretty deep on this as well. Preferred income model is basically uh, there's pref equity funds like we saw Patrick from Scottsdale talking about one that he is working on where they're basically just getting you know 12 percent 15 16 percent I don't know what percent they require but they're getting that preferred return and then there's a waterfall effect and then the returns start going to the other investors behind them so if the manager achieves a 20 percent a year return they're getting everything over that pref return of the 16 or 12 percent um, this is just good to know about because there's some where it's pref only. Others are higher preferred returns. We did a co-investment with our short-term rental property fund where we negotiated an agreement where we're getting a 16.5% preferred return and then 50-50 profit split after that. That's unusual, usually 10, 12%, and then maybe there's a profit split after that is still a pretty healthy one. Um, but it's just good to know that these are negotiable, especially if you're a larger investor here in the room uh, negotiating deals. Um, lots of investors, lots of people raising capital want to raise their minimums to 500K or a million dollars. And it's a huge mistake if you're really early stage, usually, to say, oh, our minimum is a million or two million. Because even someone who could write a $10 million check might want to test you out at a quarter million or a half million. So just something to think about. Some people stay at a $25,000 minimum and they have 500, 700 million in AUM and they still like staying at a 25K minimum. We have someone here in the room I know that raised 9 million last year. And for a relatively new venture, a new platform, it's an operating business, and their minimum is only $25,000. And they said some of their best investors are those tiny ones because they told 20 other people about it and they're really excited about it. And then that brought in a couple more investors and then some of them re-upped again and it just led to like a snowball effect. Uh, other times, what's painful is you have someone that you know could write a $400,000 check and they see the minimum is 75K or 50K and they're like, I'll start with 50K. And they're right about to write you a $400,000 check. And you're just like, That's, that was very painful, right? So um, it's just there's two edges uh, to that. So part of the solution is to have different share classes and say, okay, you want to just kick the tires, here's the kick the tire share class. If you want to put in a serious amount of money, we'll give you these returns. And if you want to make our day and put in this amount, then we're going to treat you like royalty and give you these great terms.
So it's like, okay, you can do that, but the returns are going to be less for you because now it's more annoying for us to have 100 investors instead of 10 to get this deal done. Um, some advanced structure ideas, and then we'll be wrapping up in just about two minutes. Is um, We talked about the first one already. Oh, always ask for collateral in a deal. Um, probably 30, 40% of the time when we're looking at deals with families, they never even ask, is there some way to secure my investment so if this goes bust, I'm at least made whole and I don't lose my shirt and I get 60%, 100% of my money back at least, even if I don't get a return on my money. And many times the CEO is there saying, hey, this is gonna go great, it's full confidence. Even with a VC deal, when it's one out of 20, the VC is never gonna tell you, there's a 5% chance this deal is gonna work and there's a 95% chance I am going to lose your money. Right? How much capital would you raise if you told them that brutal truth of venture capital? Right? Um, and so the reality is you should always ask for collateral, what type of collateral is in place, and be creative about that because many times we can get collateral assigned when we ask, but if you wouldn't have asked, it's not offered, but the CEO doesn't mind offering it because they're fully confident in what they're offering. So that right there could be a top takeaway for some, some family offices and private investors listening here in the room. Um, looking for ways to have a right to invest at a lower valuation later. If you test out a company and say, well, we'll put in 200K now, but when you get near the end of the round or when you do your next raise, we want a slight discount since we're your biggest investor in this round. Well, we want to invest now for equity, not convertible note, but on the next round, we still want a 20% discount because we're your number one investor right now. So we should be rewarded uh, by getting a, a better valuation next time around. Um, looking at multiple equity caps, we talked about some of these other ones, uh, transparency requirements, negative controls to stop something that would hurt your position, even if you can't control them and make them proactively do something, you might be able to stop something that would hurt your equity. Um, and a couple of these other ones, oh yeah, we did one deal recently where I put in 150K, the investor then followed on to put in 350K, um, and we acquired a group of assets together, but I told them, like the example I gave yesterday, they get all their money back first, then I get my money back, and then we're pro rata based on the amounts we invested. And that way, if we only get 350K back, I'd lose all my money. So it's on me because I'm the one controlling it and I'm the one who's active. So the point of throwing all this at you is just to have different things in your tool belt, different things to investigate, just like the tax expert interviews in our portal. There's 50 10-minute tax expert interviews in there just to open your brain to what R&D tax credits are, or historical tax credits, or bonus depreciation, or what it means to be a real estate professional in the eyes of the IRS, because then you can go and research that and figure out how do you qualify, who's the expert who could help me. But if you don't know that area exists, you don't know whether, you don't know to investigate that. So that's the point of uh, sharing a lot of these insights with you. So I hope that um, there's at least one thing from that presentation that you either hadn't heard of before, haven't considered, or could apply to a investment you're about to make or a deal you're about to put together or something you're um, about to invest in. And if anyone needs you know, feedback on a deal structure and you wanna shoot me a quick uh, note via email, we can just give you quick feedback and say, this is what I normally see, or I wouldn't do that, or I would, I would consider this or this. I think that sometimes minute per minute value fixing or improving a structure can be enormous value and make a huge, we can make all the difference of getting something done or making the investment great or secure versus not. And it takes just a couple minutes to provide feedback on that. Um, you can also, as a member of the Family Office Club, every quarter you get to submit your materials for free and we review them and give you 10 or 20 bullet points of feedback on your materials on how to improve them. And so that's something where when you submit those materials, you can say, hey, can you specifically look at the investment structure and comment the investment structure? Because that's where I think I need the most help after hearing the presentation in California. Mm -hmm. 
Hey, it's Jonathan. I get exclusive access to great investment deals, opportunities from my community, my network, and just for my loyal listeners, we'll give you first access. Go to accreditedinvestorpodcast.com and sign up for the email list. Also, join the Accredited Investor Podcast Patreon group, where we give you additional exclusive interviews, monthly private group calls, and networking with others in this community. Check out Accredited Investor Podcast on Patreon. Finally, I get a lot of people asking me for to help them one-on-one. Yes, I can, but it's very limited. Go to revenueascend.com slash consulting for any real estate investing exclusive access. Go to midwestparkcapital.com. All links are included below. Please like, comment, and share this podcast with other friends. Thanks for listening.